Guys, guys, good to be with you on a Tuesday. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. A pleasure to connect with you guys through the I Love Seville Network. We're live in our downtown Charlottesville studio in the Macklin Building. Our audience is literally every social media platform is airing the show right now, including 15 Facebook pages, 15 Twitter accounts, LinkedIn, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Snapchat, TikTok, Fountain App. We're on the Fountain App. Um, I love Seville and our e-newsletter that goes out to God knows how many inboxes. Um, a lot to cover on today's show, guys. Um, take a look at the screen if you could. Here are some of the talking points we will discuss today. But you, the viewer and listener, can shape the discussion of the show through your comments in the comments section. It's truly a dynamic and interactive talk show um, where we welcome, we embrace your comments and literally incorporate them into the show. Um, friend of the program, asked for anonymity, sent me a petition that's currently circulating. I'm looking at it now. Um, a petition, it's an open letter to the Admiral County School Board um, supporting collective bargaining for teachers and employees of Admiral County Public Schools. I'll touch on that, um, and I'm actually looking at it now, this open letter from the Admiral County um, staff to the school board about collective bargaining. Um, I am in favor of collective bargaining for Almar County Public School employees, especially since their direct neighbor, Charlottesville Public School employees, they now have this luxury. If Almar County does not offer the same collective bargaining empowerment to its employees, Almar County Public Schools are going to lose staff. <clears throat> they will lose staff. They're losing staff now. So this is a topic that's going to become even more front and center with four spots on the school board up for grabs. I think collective bargaining and ACPS is going to determine a lot of the races this year on the Almar County School Board, um, especially since in an off-off year, there's no presidential election, there's no governor election, it's an off-off year, ACPS has a lot of people working for them, Almar County Public Schools. And if Almoral County Public Schools has a few ringleaders, and I know they do, I speak to them routinely, galvanizing the um, members of all of the school system to vote for certain candidates, that's going to influence the election in an off-off year because of the depth and numbers that ACPS has on its payroll. We'll talk about that some on today's show. I'll give you kind of a rundown of topics we're going to cover. Um, Police Chief Cotchis, um used the word targeted yesterday afternoon with okay. the alleged Fifeville killer. He said the alleged Fifeville killer targeted Skeeter Smith. Did he say he knew that for sure or that he was, uh, it seemed likely? Uh, I'll read the exact quote to you. That way, and, and are you, your mic's on? Yeah. That way people can hear your uh, deep baritone voice that is now becoming personified with its life of its own, um, which I like. I really like that addition of your alter ego to the program. Uh, what, what should we call your alter ego? And can we get the alter ego with a voice on the show? Can the, should the alter ego be J-Dubs? You are Judah Wickhauer. In fact, you should probably go on a two-shot here. I know I'm getting a little distracted. We'll get to the rundown in a matter of moments. You are Judah Wickhauer. People know you as a consistent, even-keeled, likable guy. Your alter ego could be J-Dubs with this voice because we routinely call you J-Dubs. And on the show as J-Dubs, you bring the alter ego, the voice, and everything that goes with it. How do you feel about that? You don't have to give me an answer now. You can think about it. Uh, it's definitely something to think about. J-Dubs. J-Dubs, the alter ego. Um, he said this. Um, Mr. Eldridge Skeeter-Smith was targeted, but we do not believe it was because he was a member of the Buck Squad. This is Police Chief Cotches. Okay. Mr. Smith was targeted, but we do not believe um, it was because he was a member of the Buck Squad. Cotchis also gave another little tidbit, another little nugget. A lot of the shootings that we have seen do seem to be with folks that know each other as yeah. opposed to just random shooters. Yeah. 
If we unpack those two sentences, targeted and the shootings in the area, the people knew each other, unpacking that means gang violence. More than likely. More than likely, right? Yeah. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, that's what he's saying. He still has not been transparent about the motive. Police Chief Kotchis, your next step is to discuss motive here. They may not know. I think they may not know now. That's fair. Motive is in the mind of the... Of the... uh, The killer. The alleged killer. Yeah. Yeah. But motive is a topic and talking point that comes up in interrogation. And it comes out through the process of policing and prosecuting. Motive is something that's pursued. Right. That's something that we want to know about. We definitely hope they they figure out the motive. Right. But there's no guarantee that they have it yet. uh, No. Unless the guy has, you know, spilled his guts. And, you know, a lot of folks, I'm I'm really getting this one here, J-Dubs, and I'm not going to say who this came from. Um, He is watching the program now. I will respect your anonymity, sir. You're a friend of the program. You're running for elected office. I'll leave it at that. You sent me this direct message, and I will respect your anonymity. He said, Mr. Smith's death was the direct result of the First Step Act of 2018 and its application, giving Keyes a reduced prison sentence. You and I... Direct result? Yeah, he, he, he said if, if, if um, the sentence... Basically what he's saying is if the prison sentence was not reduced... Keys would still be in the slammer, and Smith would still be alive. And this reform, criminal justice reform, put someone on the streets in September, and he murdered in January. Right. So the gentleman who you respect tremendously as well uh, is saying if it was not for this criminal justice reform, Keys would still be behind bars and Smith would still be alive. You and I said yesterday we're not necessarily buying that, I think that's technically true. I mean, you can't deny that this guy getting out of prison fair led to the death of of Skeet. I think what we said yeah, that's fair. What we said yesterday was criminal justice reform should be should not be broad stroke. That's a, ro- a word you like to use, a phrase you like phrase you like to use. Criminal justice reform should not be broad stroked um, by uh, the actions of. How do you say his name? Tadishi? Tadishi Dim- Looks like Demetrius Tadashi. Keys? But Looks I mean, like Tadashi, but we, I don't know how you're, to Tadashi? Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, you're basically saying that criminal justice reform should not be broad stroked by Keys. I'm in, agree- I'm in agreement with that. A lot of people are I vehemently mean, disagreeing with us on that topic. I just want you to realize that. Including police, uh, middle management, and upper management in police that listen to this show, that have sent me direct messages and text messages and emails, they literally, I mean, a lot of the police, like the boots on the street, are not very much in favor of this criminal justice reform because they're seeing the, the lax laws get folks that they arrest back on the streets quicker than they think they should be. So I got a message yesterday from a heavy, heavy hitter within police in Central Virginia. Like, a, a, a name that all of us that are watching and listening to the show would know. Hmm. I'll leave it at that. And he said, if it was not for this reform, this murder would never happen, and we should check our mentality when it comes to reform. I was on the impression, and what I said yesterday, and you can jump in anywhere you want, I don't think that we should utilize Keys, this 38-year-old alleged Fifeville killer, as the um, reason to completely revamp some of the positives that have come from criminal justice reform. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a, it's a tough situation, and, and there isn't any uh, pat answer. There are going to be people on both sides who, uh, who feel differently about it. Uh, my take is that, uh, is basically what I said before, is that uh, reform in this case I think is a good thing. We all know that there are massive inequities in, uh, in our country and in our justice system. And I'm not saying that this guy should have been set free, but I'm saying that it, I think the, the reform is a good thing in the, in, for the most part. Uh, if people are, if people have, like, if people have received 
outsized sentences, sentences that far uh, uh, far overshadow what uh, what they may have committed, then I think it's a good thing that we're taking a look at our laws and trying to make them more fair to all all people involved. Um, but yes, uh, it's this guy clearly shouldn't have been set free. Um, I think somebody made a great point in the comments yesterday that uh, you can't. It's impossible. You can't just look at uh, at someone in prison and say they shouldn't get they shouldn't go free. Yeah, uh, I mean, the judge, I think, probably made the best decision he could with the information at hand. I mean, the guy's been in jail for what twenty years. Yeah, I mean, almost twenty. Let's see here. Went to jail when he was eighteen. He's now thirty-eight, so twenty years. Went together eighteen, tied to. I mean, eighteen. You're a kid. I, I know involved. 18, you're charged as adult because you're 18, but I mean... He was involved in some shady stuff. I don't think he committed any murders himself. I mean, he utilized guns to enforce a street gang yeah. and, and, and utilize a gun as the enforcer to maintain street law so he can continue pushing hardcore drugs. I'm just saying... I mean, that's pretty significant. I'm saying that the... The reason he was put in prison was not for murder. Oh, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. He's been in prison for call more, it twenty years, more than half of his life. That's true. That is true. One would hope that our prison system. Does oh, I, you be careful with this statement. I know where you're going with this one, but finish your thought. Be careful with this one. Does more than just lock people away. Well, seriously. I, I, you if would, all we're doing is tossing people in cells, then why would we ever let them out of prison again? Well, I mean, that's what we're doing. That's disgusting. And that's what's happening. And so, really, how, how could anybody have known that this guy would commit murder again? Well, I mean, if you just, you just kind of describe why he would potentially commit... Well, not the word again. Can't use the word again. Because as far as we True. know, this True. is his first alleged murder. Yeah. I'd, yes. How could anyone possibly gun violence that he would commit a murder upon getting out of jail? But to your point, if all that's happening is men and women are getting locked up in a cage and the key is thrown away, then you could assume that the men and women that are being disregarded, ignored, and treated as afterthoughts behind bars will not get rehabilitated. I would, I would suggest that they're going to come out at least the same, if not worse, than they than when they went in. I would think that... Yeah, I agree with that statement. Yeah. The same, if not worse, if they're not being rehabilitated, if all yeah. you're doing is throwing the keys away and putting someone in a cell, they're not going to likely improve on their own accord. Right. How could they? How could they? Right. Unless they pursue... You know, faith in God, unless they yeah. pursue education. Right. And some do. Some do. Some do. But those are tough things. If you're, not, uh, you know, if you're not pushing that kind of stuff, then... I know those close to the family of Skeeter Smith are certainly um, pointing to the changes in the criminal justice system as to something leading, as to the main culprit of leading to Skeeter's murder. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. And I can understand where they're coming from. There's no denying that he would be alive if this guy hadn't been let out of prison. So basically, here's the nitty-gritty for those that don't know. The alleged Fifeville killer was put in jail when he was 18. He was part of a street gang, um, Estes um, Street, Inc. Estes Street is the the road parallel to um, West Main Street. I've got that. Uh, you got the map from yesterday. Graphic, which we never. I don't think we showed. Oh, you do? That's fantastic. You put yeah. that on screen. On that screen. way, they have an idea. It's on screen. Yeah. You get the red circle on it too. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Job well done, All Judah Wickout. It was highlighted, anyways. Uh, anyways, as you can see, if uh, I can't see it, it's on screen now. Yeah. All right, everyone, look at the screen. I mean, you're you're this. It turns into, Estes turns into, or Estes, whatever it's pronounced, turns into Ninth Street. It's the road parallel to Knoll Street, parallel to West Main Street. And then actually turns into Grove. Yeah, so 
A lot of people, I, I, I mean, my friend Curtis Shaver, who watches this program routinely, used to live either on or off Knoll Street. You know, this, 20 years ago, this was a completely different dynamic than what we know Fifield today. Fifield today is this gentrified community of, of, of um, you know, yuppies, young professionals, folks who've purchased homes, knocked down houses to build new construction, and potentially right next door, you still have folks that are Fifeville old guard from 20 to 25 years ago living right next to someone that could be a doctor, a banker, someone in private equity who's new to the area. So we've covered this story, I think, as well as anyone. MJ Arquette, welcome to the program. You're the queen of marketing. KTP, the queen of Whitehall. Um, Katie Pearl watching the show. Lisa Costello has comments. Carol Thorpe, hello. Um, if you have comments, put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. This is what, where we need to go from here, okay? I think we've covered the story extremely well. This is where we need to go from here. Cautious, police chief, let us know the motive. Yeah. Cautious, the police chief, let us know how all these shootings are connected. Let's acknowledge gang violence. The first step to solving gang violence or improving gang violence or alleviating gang violence is acknowledging gang violence. And throughout the last six or seven months before Cotchis was on the job, the commentary from the police was these shootings were not connected. They were isolated events. Hmm. Yesterday afternoon, Cotchis said that these shootings involve people that know each other. So that leads you to believe that potentially not isolated events. One other interesting tidbit came out of the press conference yesterday with Cotchis. He said that the, um, the folks that are on the night shift, um, upper management and the police chief, is now going to have access to the police Facebook pages. Yeah, I saw that. And they're going to be able to update in real time... Um, What's going on? Let's see here. Kacha said he's currently working on having watch commanders on each shift have the ability to control their social media platforms. Yeah. So if the you-know-what is hitting the fan and there's a shooting or there's gun violence or there's some kind of significant crime, the commanders, the watch commanders, will be able to post to the Charlottesville Police Department Facebook yeah. page let people what's know happening. What's Previously, that kind of communication went through friend of the program, Kyle Irvin, the Charlottesville Police Department spokesman. He routinely watches the show. Um, Kyle Irvin, if you're watching today, I think you're doing a heck of a job, sir. Um, Previously, that communication went through the spokesman. Now that communication is going to be published on social media by the watch commanders. What do you make of that, and do you think that's a slippery slope? I'm sure that they will. Uh, I'm sure that they'll spend. A fair I hope ma- so. A fair amount of time giving them a uh, protocol a, lesson, a framework. Because this is the business we're in. Yeah. And we've seen this backfire on clients. Yeah, you don't just want to post anything, and I'm sure that they will. Uh, the fact that they're keeping it uh, confined to the watch commanders tells me that they uh, they want. Uh, a clear chain, a clear uh, uh, rule of how this is going to work, and I'm sure that uh, anyone caught messing around is uh, is gonna is gonna catch it. Yeah, I, I we're in the business. We're an advertising agency. We're in the brand management business. We have seen it backfire for so many clients when they allow upper management, middle management, or entry-level employees, team members, manage their social media presence. This could have a catastrophic effect. I wouldn't be surprised if this turns into like a uh, Mad Libs. Like, here are your four uh, form letters for X, Y, Z, and... Yeah, a script. Yeah. It should have a script. Yeah, and they're just going to like have a couple... A couple uh, like what we blanks, do with the Instagram at times. A couple blanks that they can fill in. Exactly, and it'll be. That's nice. how you do it, Conscious. Okay, we have a 
we have a situation involving this, that, and the other. Here's Same uh, thing the, I'm doing with you with the Instagram, when you're posted on the Instagram. Get, this is the formula I want you to post on, with. Get something out on Facebook. Yeah. You just fill in, like, Grove Street, something, something Same else. Same thing that you're doing with the Instagram. Yeah. Here's the format I want you to use. Substitute these words for this word and use everything else and hit publish. Right. They have to think, take the thinking out of it for a watch commander who's managing staff on the clock and is not a social media expert. Yeah. But here's what we know before we go to the next topics. Before the next topic. Watch commanders are going to start publishing the social media in real time what's happening with crime in Charlottesville police. Kotchis has done a great job managing the story with communication skill set. Chief Kotchis, you're doing a great job so far. You've been on the job for, what, a month and change? I applaud you with what you're doing so far. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'd like to know the motive of why um, Keyes allegedly killed Smith, and I'd like to know how these shootings are connected, and I think the first step to alleviating or solving gang violence in this community is acknowledging we have a gang violence problem. Saying that these events are isolated, which is the procedure, the mythology the police department has used throughout 2022, is not the right one. Let's identify that we have a problem and then figure out ways to solve it. All right, next topic. Um, we, talked, we touched on this slightly, and you can put the headlines back on screen. You guys really want to listen to the show when we get to the headline from Deep Throat. I think Deep Throat is watching right now. Deep Throat, great topic. Certainly a great topic for a talk show. Um, and that, that topic is the planning commissioners and Charlottesville City Council are not really impacted by the upzoning changes. Yeah. <laughs> that right there. And I'm just going to do this. I'm going to call it a coincidence because I'm not a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I'm going to say it's a coincidence. But when the city council and the planning commissioners, the people that are determining upzoning in Charlottesville City, are not impacted by density and the collateral damage, positive or cons that come with it. Do you want me to put that graphic up? You want to put it on screen? All right. This is straight from Anonymous. Put it on screen. Explain what the letters and numbers mean. I think the letters and numbers are getting into the weeds. Um, but it's certainly a talking point for a talk show. You got the graphic on screen? Yeah, it's on screen. Everyone look at the screen. But that's basically what you're talking about. So without explaining what... uh, All right, so the names names are Snook, Wade, Pinkston, Payne. Um, Snook, Wade, Pinkston, and Payne are city councilors. Mitchell, Russell, I always mess up his name. Habab, Habib? I'd say Habab. Habab, Rory Stolzenberg, uh, Dorenzio, Schwartz, and, and Sola Yates are planning commissioners. He shows their old zoning and their new zoning. And he says this. Interesting factoid about the new upzoning. Check out all the members of city council and the planning commission. Not one has ended up moved from a current low-intensity category to one of the higher-intensity categories of R-B, R-C, or beyond in the new zoning. And then he asked this question, not willing to eat your own cooking, huh, guys? And then I respond to him, do you think this is a coincidence, Deep Throat? Deep Throat responds to my question by saying, well, let me say, I don't think any of these people intervened with Code Studio to get their properties or areas redesignated. Did the consultant try to steer around people who support their plan might need? I would say unlikely, but not impossible. The big point for me is that the council and commission have been very insensitive to folks who are distressed by what can happen to their now R-B or R-C neighborhoods, what was called um, MIR in the comp plan. It is easy to be insensitive when, you're, when, it, when it is not your ox getting gored. Mm-hmm. That's a fair comment. Yeah. I don't think you hope to God this is not a conspiracy. You hope to God that this is not upzoning, staying away from elected officials' houses because they need their support. Right. I don't think that's the case. I think it's a coincidence. But he makes a point. If you're on council and you're on the planning commission and you're not impacted by the upzoning, how can you truly be empathetic to those that are impacted by upzoning? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair point right there. 
And of the four counselors, Michael Payne is a non-owner. We've heard Michael Payne lives in the basement of his parents' house. We've heard that multiple times. Um, Rory Stolzenberg is a non-owner. He rents an apartment on the downtown mall. And Habab, say Habab. Habab. A non-owner as well. The rest own property in Charlottesville City, and they're not being impacted by upzoning. Hell of a coincidence. Hell of a coincidence. We'll get to that topic in a matter of moments. Before we get to that topic, I would love to talk about um, something John Blair, friend of the program, routinely listens to the show. In fact, if I go on LinkedIn, I think John has liked the show. Let me see. John, I believe, has liked the show on LinkedIn. Um, Why do you think Charlottesville's population is decreasing? I'll get the numbers that John Blair put on my radar. Before I get to those numbers, I want to, let's just open any question. We started on this briefly yesterday. We didn't have a chance to take a deep dive. Why do you think Charlottesville City's population is decreasing? Let's rattle off some ideas and then really get into it. Show is yours, Judah Wickhauer. Well, part of, <clears throat> part of it is right there in the, uh, in the article. Uh, the city's not paying people enough. We know that, uh, we know that, the, that housing is getting more unaf- unaffordable. Um, Carol Thorpe alluded yesterday, and she made a good point. Carol, you're watching. She said, perhaps the volatility in City Hall is causing people to leave Charlottesville City. And then we made the point yesterday, well, we thought the volatility in City Hall has kind of like quieted since the Nakaya Walker term is over. And then about an hour after the show, CBS 19 releases an article that hundreds of job vacancies currently exist in City Hall. Literally hundreds. And Carol tagged us in the comment thread of yesterday's show and said, see, we still have volatility in City Hall. And I responded, well, Carol, this article certainly justifies your statement. We have Charlottesville literally has hundreds of job openings in City Hall. Hundreds of job openings in City Hall. To the point where Michael Rogers, the mercenary city manager, the hired gun city manager, is now taking people that are not qualified for these jobs and creating an apprentice program for certain gigs so people can train and learn the jobs on the fly. So previously you had jobs in City Hall that you could recruit from a national standpoint. Yeah. and attract candidates from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Now that's not the case. You can't get candidates from all the country. So now they're realizing they have to try a different path of attack for filling these gigs, and it's an apprentice program approach mm-hmm. where they're going to train folks on the fly even if from day one they don't have the job requirements for the job. I actually don't mind that. Yeah. I think you can train people on the fly. Oh, definitely. I think you should hire from within the community. Even I would rather have, maybe you disagree with me on this, I would rather have someone hired from within the community that is slightly less qualified than someone from, say, Tennessee or Georgia or Texas or California or Minnesota that does not have the institutional knowledge or understand the nuances and the dynamics of Charlottesville or Central Virginia. Yeah. I agree with that, and we're also talking about government jobs. I mean, not to not to oh, not to put down anyone in a government job, but come on, we we know that there our government is an ever expanding entity that uh, never wants to cede an inch. So, are there really hundreds of of spots that need to be filled, or is that what we've you know grown into? How many of those uh, those spots could be filled to cover, like you know, a little bit of the overlap? Charlottesville City, in the two years since the census, has declined in population by 141 people. Almaro County, in the two years since the census, is up 2,877 people. Augusta, 636 people up. Fluvanna up 610. Greene County up 517. Louisa County up a whopping 2,193. Nelson County up 188. Rockingham County up 456. Harrisonburg up 440. Stanton up 376. Waynesboro up 399. All those municipalities I listed, only one of them is down. Charlottesville City down 141. Yeah. Cost of living. 
housing affordability, a lack of blue-collar, entry-level, hospitality jobs. A lack? I mean, we're... A lack of entry-level hospitality jobs? Can we... Can anyone be a... Where would you be a career... A career professional server in this town? Where would you be a career... I mean, the Aberdeen Barn has obviously career professional servers there. Definitely. That have been there for years, if decades. not decades. Decades, right? Yeah, the last time I was there, the guy said, yeah, I've been here 35 years. If you wanted to be, if you were a career professional server in this town, where are you working restaurant-wise? I mean, there are... I mean, th let's just rattle them off. Aberdeen Barn is one. Career professional server in this town. Maybe the mill room at the Borsad because you got the benefits package from UVA owning the Borsad. Hmm. So because UVA owns the Borsad and owns the mill room, they have healthcare and perks that a lot of other servers that work wow. for a one-unit owner do not have. So hmm. at the Borsad, you see a lot of the same faces at yep. the mill room or Burwood Grill because of the perks that come for working for UVA. But if you were a, a career server, where would you work for tw 25 years in this town? I sincerely mean that. Viewers and listeners, let me ask you that question. Viewers and listeners, if you wanted to be a, I'm all for a career server, honest job, cash on the spot. Some, I grew up in Williamsburg, Virginia, and there was a restaurant in Williamsburg, Virginia called The Trellis. Mm -hmm. The Trellis, we would go there maybe once or twice a year for special you know, anniversaries, holidays. This yeah. was like the spot in Williamsburg for my family to go. Expensive. They had career servers at The Trellis. Hmm. What, where in Charlottesville, Virginia, can you be a career server? I've given you two, the Mill Room or the Aberdeen Barn. Bijou? Bizu? I don't think Bizu. I don't you think You don't so. think? No. I mean, what, you think that they just would, they wouldn't pay someone enough that... I just, I don't think the, the income verticality is there. I also think that, um, I'm less, and I hate to say this because I have a lot of skin in the game downtown, you know that, as a, as a property owner. I'm less bullish on the downtown mall than I've been in a long time. And we've highlighted on the show as these restaurants. Um, Jason Burke makes a good comment. He's watching in Los Angeles. Was it Sherwood? Sherman Oaks. Sherman Oaks. Jason Burke, Sherman Oaks. He grew up in Charlottesville. Jason Burke, when you comment on the show, I listen closely. He says, you do, you do not need to work at one location to be a career server. That's a fair point. It's yeah. a very good point. It's a very good point. Um, he said, you can be a career server at Bizu. He points to one example who is now an owner. Okay. Oh, you're back in Charlottesville now, Jason? Okay, nice. Welcome. Are you not in Charlottesville full-time, though, are you? Are you here for a vacation, a hot minute? Are you, are you going back to L.A.? Um, let us know. Um, I just, I, because of the affordability issues. Yeah the commute's going to have to happen to and from Charlottesville if you're working in hospitality or food and beverage. And that commute from Buckingham or Waynesboro is going to impact your margin and your take-home pay and your quality of life and make you think otherwise of working in Charlottesville. I was at the... Um, is my wife... Is, is my uh, better half watching the program? Are you watching, sweetheart? What was the playground we were at with our boys the other day. Um, text me this if you could. The one that has the track right around it that's in the neighborhood. What is the name of that playground? Anyway, we were at this playground and we saw one of my buddies from the University of Virginia, graduate of UVA. Mm -hmm. He's a teacher in city schools. Just went through a divorce. He's got um, part-time custody of his two boys. He moved to Waynesboro. He's living in Waynesboro and making the commute to Charlottesville to teach and then back to Waynesboro. Then yeah. I asked him, 
does that commute wear on you? And he said, yeah, wears on me big time. That's the last thing I want to do after working at Charlottesville schools all day is to then get in my car and battle traffic over the mountain. Right. And it's making him think otherwise of staying at Charlottesville schools. And it's yeah. instead making him pursue an opportunity in Waynesboro. And how he previously lived in Charlottesville, in, in Charlottesville, had a great house when he was married. His wife was a doctor. Mm-hmm. So that changed the income potential for the family. Yeah. So what do you think is impacting the um, Kate Sharks? The Queen of Ivy is watching the program. She says, Mitchie Tavern, um, potentially as a career server. I ran into your oldest yesterday, Kate Sharks. She represented your family extremely well. I was asking for some magic tricks from your oldest, and she just gave me that look where I was like, okay, I'm not going to pursue the magic tricks question anymore from her. And I will just say, say hi to your mom and dad for me. She doesn't want to do the magic tricks anymore, Queen of Ivy. Uh, but she did represent your family extremely well. So she says Mitchie Tavern as a potential um, career server um, what about, option. What about Maya uh, Public Oyster? I mean, are those just places where you where they wouldn't pay someone enough for someone to be? I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't know what makes a career. Uh, a career Olivia center. Branch is watching. She says Mary Gold at Keswick Hall. She's the queen of Keswick. Olivia Branch. That's a good one. Mary Gold is dynamite. She also says the ladies um, at Tip Top Restaurant make a killing, and you see a lot of the same faces. Oh yeah, I've been seeing the same faces there for half a decade at least. Um, at Tip Top, right? Yeah. 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 So there's just some good options. I love that. I love the crowdsourcing that comes with the show. Um, so why is the population dropping? Strictly affordability? Carol Thorpe added a comment. Let me see if I can find that comment here, Carol Thorpe. Comments are coming in fast and furious right now. I also said that in addition to the rising house prices, the decline in conditions at public schools and the rise in violent crime on the streets may be contributing factors to moving out. I think that's one. Could be. Um, I think another one that's, whether we want to admit this or not, there's still a portion of the population in central Virginia that's boycotting Charlottesville because of how it handled the Confederate statue removals. There's still, I mean, check out the Boycott Charlottesville Facebook page. It has thousands of people on it. And you still see people posting on social media that they're boycotting Charlottesville City in totality because of how they handled the uh, removal of the statues from the park. Are they for or against it? I mean, they were for keeping the statues because you can't erase history. And they thought the city was entirely, was, was wrong with how it managed the removal of the statues. That's a topic for another day. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I would also say government volatility is another one. But I, I find it, I find it uh, it's certainly a talking point. Um, anonymous, I'll get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Um, Charlottesville, of all those localities that I mentioned, the only one with a declining population. Yeah. And, and I highlighted yesterday, I want you to drive down Ivy Road and look at where the old Cavalier Hotel was. The Cavalier Hotel, when I was a UVA student, my parents used to stay there when they visited me and later my brother. My brother was a year behind me at UVA. We both were at UVA for three years together. My dad also went to UVA. So my parents, they had season tickets as well. So they were routinely in Charlottesville uh, while my brother and I were in college. And then I stayed here, launched a company, launched some companies. He's now in Los Angeles, Culver City. Um, They used to stay at the Cavalier Hotel. Caddy Corner. Caddy Corner is next to but diagonal across, right? Uh, is Caddy Corner different from Kitty Corner? So you know where those tennis courts are, the Snyder tennis courts over there? Yeah. All those big tennis courts? Yeah. And then across from the so. tennis courts, there was the, there's the soccer field. I think it's Cars Field. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? I think so. And there was like a gas station on the other corner yeah. and the, uh, the hotel. There used the- to be the hotel. Then the hotel got torn down. Yeah, that hotel that's got torn down is going to be the been... home to the data science school. Okay, is is that caddy corner from the tennis courts where the hotel is diagonally across? Is that caddy corner? Yeah, that's caddy corner, right? Yeah, diagonal. Di- okay, so I always call it. I've always heard it kitty corner. So I'm I'm not sure if caddy corner is something different. I th- but I think uh, it's the same. Is that Rio and Rio Road? <laughs> 
tomato, tomato? Is that what that is? Norfolk, Norfolk, Stanton, Staunton? Is that caddy corner, kitty corner? You're looking that up as we speak? Yeah, caddy corner. So it's diagonally opposite someone or something. Okay, so caddy corner from the Snyder tennis courts was the Cavalier Hotel. That's where the data science school is going. Okay. Drive down Ivy Road and look how monstrous this data science school is going to be. That's also going to be the stretch of road where the new UVA hotel and conference center is going to go. And we highlighted yesterday the Paul Manning Biotech Institute and the potentially, potential of being one of these regional tech hubs. Yeah. 300 to 500 million from the federal government, anonymous, not 10 billion. Thank you for holding me accountable there, anonymous. Multiple regional tech hubs, 10 billion in totality, split among all the regional hubs. So 300 to 500 million to Charlottesville if it is in fact awarded this new tech hub destination. Those three things will forever change Charlottesville. Forever change Charlottesville. All coinciding at the same time, all coinciding at the same time that UVA has the highest um, amount of students trying to enroll in the school, the class of 2027, the highest enrollment number in the history yeah. of the school, on top of all the other STEM and finance um, companies that have been birthed already um, in this town. Forever going to change Charlottesville. We'll look back on this five-year stretch and say, that's when Charlottesville forever changed. That's when Charlottesville turned into Austin or Silicon Valley or San Francisco. That's when we're going to say it. So this is going to worsen. Do you think the population will increase or decrease as we become this Austin or Silicon Valley? And an interesting wrinkle of this is you then have the upzoning that could add more density to the community. Uh, you know, I think, it, I think it all depends. I think uh, if... Uh, I think you're right that these uh, these things are going to change Charlottesville, but if uh, I don't, I don't see Charlottesville getting any any uh, more affordable. And so I, th what I see is uh, the numbers, those numbers that you read off, getting bigger for the surrounding towns and counties. And uh, maybe a little bit of growth in Charlottesville. Um, yeah, Kate Shorts, uh, Queen of Ivy. I got the side eye from your oldest, the nine-year-old special side eye. I asked her for some magic tricks. I got the side eye. I said, like, okay, I'm not going to ask you about the magic tricks ever again, I promise. Um, I think you said that perfectly. Now, how about this statement? Data Science School, Geoffrey Woodruff's $125 million donation. Biotech Institute, Paul Manning's $100 million donation. UVA, highest applications, most amount of applications in UVA history for the class of 2027. You would expect enrollment. It's going to be at the all-time high for UVA. They're a business. They're trying to make money. Um, do we become a regional technology hub and get 300 to 500 million from the federal government to create this? Only time will tell. My bet is yes. All those are headwinds for affordability in Charlottesville and Almora County, but they're undoubtedly tailwinds for Louisa, Fluvanna, Nelson, Buckingham, Waynesboro, Rockingham, Augusta County. Oh, yeah. As we become Silicon Valley East... Austin East, the surrounding jurisdictions adjacent to Charlottesville and Central Virginia, adjacent to Charlottesville and Amaro County specifically, will yeah. boom in, in um, population. No you doubt. agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. As people come in here, they're going to, I mean, first of all, some of them are going to come in and be like, ah, I, I, can't, I can't afford anything here. Others, others are going to come in here and say, uh, there's nothing for sale here. Nobody's selling. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to end up uh, getting shunted to, uh, to the surrounding counties. Whether by, you know, whether by getting priced out of the market or just because there's not enough product to, uh, to house everyone. Yeah. Um, put the graphic back on screen. 
the upzoning graphic sent to us by Anonymous, then I'll get to his comments. Um, oh, his comments are good. I'll get to these in a matter of moments here, Anonymous. Um, the graphic he's got on screen is the uh, city councilors and the planning commissioners, whether they own a home or not on the right column. Their current zoning is the center column, and the column on the right is their new zoning. And Anonymous said, according to this graphic, none of the electeds that are determining upzoning in Charlottesville City are being impacted by upzoning, directly impacted by upzoning. I still think you might want to explain what RA means in comparison to like RB or RC because some people watching may not know what that I certainly don't know what the difference between RA, RB, and RC is. Okay. Um, let me just take R1 zoning. I don't want to go too deep in the woods on, on the weeds on this. No, um, I get it. R1 zoning is the most commonly found zoning type in residential neighborhoods. An R1 zoning is a type of classification that allows single-family homes to be built, one unit per lot. Yeah. So you have the graphic. Do you have the unit still on screen, the graphic still on screen? Uh, put them back up. Okay, let's, if you put, thank you very much for that. Uh, so Lloyd Snook has an R1 zoning. Yeah. That means he owns a piece of land. Where he can only, make, he can only build one house. One unit. And so this is what happened. Okay, I'll give a little bit of history here. This is, I, could, I could spend three hours on this topic here. I mean, I wasn't asking you to spend three. I just I mean, want, it's, just, it's, like, a very, it's a very nuanced topic, and okay. I think it would bore a lot of the viewers and listeners. But I'll offer I, a little historical you're probably, perspective. You're probably right, but if you could just... I'll offer a historical it. perspective here if you hear me out. Um, the city of Charlottesville, um, in the 80s, mm -hmm. was losing a lot of its population to Albemarle County. And why it was losing a lot of, and, and the population that it was losing to Almaro County in the 80s was its affluent population, even more specific, its white affluent population. Hmm. Elected officials in Charlottesville City said, we have to do something to combat the loss of our tax base. Because if we lose the affluent population, we lose our taxes. You lose tax revenue, right. So then Charlottesville City decided to re completely reinvent zoning. And it did it to, and this is legitimately, you can historically research this if you did it, it did it to prevent white flight. Mm -hmm. And how Charlottesville City prevented, one of the ways Charlottesville City prevented white flight in the past was making zoning in Charlottesville City, only 10.2 square miles, 53% of land in Charlottesville City was zoned R1, single-family detached. And by zoning 53% of Charlottesville land R1, it prevented white flight in the following ways. The housing stock that was created on that R1 land, only one unit per, per parcel, became extremely expensive housing stock. Because if you can only build one house on a piece of dirt, as opposed to three or four houses on a piece of dirt to make additional revenue, you have to sell that one house at a higher clip. It also the, limited growth. Limited growth, created a sense of suburbia, created space between neighbors, mm -hmm. created a perceived quality of life that Almaro County had. Almaro County's got a okay. boatload of land for R1, one house per dirt, per parcel. So Charlottesville City said, we have to combat our affluence leaving for Albemarle by doing what is appealing to these affluent folks to leave to Albemarle. Yeah. And they realized that a lot of these people wanted the white picket fence, the backyard and the front yard, room between neighbors for quality of life. So you don't hear squabbling when you leave the toilet seat up and your wife who recently delivered a baby is having to go to the bathroom every two hours. Mm. He'll have the toilet seat up again. So 53% of the land ends up getting rezoned to 
are one. Yeah. As a result of that zoning change to combat affluent sprinting from the city, Charlottesville became extremely, started becoming the early stages of becoming very expensive. That's one way to limit density. Yeah. Now, what they're trying to do with upzoning now is they're trying to take this 53% of land that only one piece, one house can be built on it and allow multiple units to be built on it. And the concept is if you increase the supply of housing, the additional units will stabilize price. If you have one Snickers bar and 10 people want that Snickers bar, those 10 people are going to drive up the cost of the Snickers bar higher than market value because they want it. They'll pay more for it. There's only one of them. Take it, take, I'll take it, I'll, I'll, I'll apply it to, to sporting cards, okay? What makes a Ty Cobb card or a Mickey Mantle card or a Babe Ruth card or a LeBron James rookie card so valuable? Oftentimes rarity. There's not many of them, Right? I don't know how many there are. There are not many cards, of them. But yeah, there are not many it's of them. rarity that makes a card uh, If there was millions expensive. of LeBron James rookie cards, people wouldn't fight for LeBron James rookie cards and pay... Because everybody could have one. Millions of dollars because everyone could have one. So Charlottesville City is saying, these zoning experts are saying, let's take the housing stock and build, make the zoning more flexible... So people can have more houses on their land. Let's take the zoning and let's allow the homeowners to build a basement apartment or a granny flat or an ADU in the backyard or allow investors and speculators to buy a home on Shamrock Road in the shadows of Scott Stadium just to tear them down and build apartment complexes on them. And the thinking is the additional stock, housing stock, is going to stabilize price. I have said, and I continue to echo, I continue to reiterate this statement, that's not going to apply to Charlottesville. And why it's not going to apply to Charlottesville is because the University of Virginia is going to see this additional housing stock in its backyard and realize that it can admit more students to the school without necessarily creating more on-grounds or UVA-owned housing. They can say, UVA, of course we can admit a couple hundred more this year and a couple hundred more next year and a couple hundred more the year after that because look at all these additional apartments off Jefferson Park Avenue. They're all growing up. Look at all this, these apartments at the flats on West Main, the Lark, or whatever the hell it's called now. So does RA prevent that? Does RA keep it in the single dwelling range? Put the uh, graphic back on screen if you could. Our anonymous is dropping uh, some knowledge for us. This really gets in the weeds here. Um, RA is general residential, three units. RB is six units. RC, 12 and no minimum lot size, so very high subdivision potential. So you got so the graphic on screen? I did. I have a quick question, though. Wouldn't, uh, let me, if you were living in <clears throat> a current RA zone, wouldn't, wouldn't based on, on your, uh, your supposition, wouldn't that land be worth more if it was RB or RC? Than R1? Yeah. Of course. So. Who, we, had, uh, we had a client in the studio right before the show. So then what is the problem with all of these people continuing to have zoned RA? Is it just that they don't have to worry about their neighbors putting up a big place? Is it more, is it more of a, a NIMBY thing than it is a, a work? Because if... Here's the question. I, I'm trying to answer your question. You're asking a good one. I appreciate it. If you have a single family, if you have an R1 zoning, single yeah. family detached house. Right. And you're going to live in that house for a long period of time. Yeah. You're not going to sell it. Right. You're going to live in it. So you're not worried about the price of the... You're not worried about the price of the house. 
unless you're taking a home equity line of credit or pulling money against the equity in your home, you don't give a rat's you-know-what yeah. about it. And you certainly don't want your neighbor selling his place and finding that you've got a... A 12-unit next to you that can be rented to college students. Right. All you care about if you're going to live in this house a long period of time is... Is... Quality of life. Yeah. Quality of life. And not having your view blocked. Now, if you own this house and you're going to sell it next year, if your R1 then becomes more densely populated, then your value of your house just went up exponentially. Because you can sell your crib to a potential developer that can build additional units on it, which means it has more value proposition. Are you yeah, with me? So you're saying if you're about to move, then it would be better for you to be in an RB or an RC. As opposed to an R1. Yeah. Yes. But if you're going to stay in the house for a long period of time, years if not decades, yeah. like I would imagine Lloyd Snook would, like I would imagine Juan Diego Wade would, like yeah. I would imagine Brian Pinkston would. Mm-hmm. Okay. It doesn't even apply to you. Yeah. Where it does apply to you, however, is the assessment. Because if you have up if you have a zoning potential with your house, your assessments are going to go up. Because your assessments tied to market value. And if you can do more stuff with your crib and your land, then of course your home's going to be worth more and you're going to pay more out of taxes. Right. Our client who is in studio right before this show started lives in Hogwaller. Yeah. And she indicated to us she got the assessment in the mail. Mm-hmm. And her significant other said, wow, look at this assessment. We should sell it for this. She's a businesswoman. She said, not so fast, my friends. Our zoning allows a second unit, a second piece of housing stock in our backyard. So I wouldn't take anything below 900 grand, I think the number was. Build a house and figure out what you could get for it. They would never build a house. No, no, no. I'm just saying. They're selling on potential. I'm saying use that as the baseline for... Uh, for what your house would actually be worth. Um, Deep Throat says this, people who want to just live peacefully in their house in a neighborhood that is like the one that they bought into do not want to be an RB or an RC because they don't care about the value for a developer going up. And they don't want to pay the extra taxes on their higher value. That's why it is unpleasant to people to be RB or RC. The irony of this... (laughs) The irony of this, which is what he's pointing at, is neither Payne, Pinkston, Wade, or Snook are impacted by this. Nor any of the... uh... Nor are any of the planning commissioners impacted by this. Yeah. So the people approving the decision-making on upzoning are not impacted by this at all. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to allege conspiracy theory. I think it's a coincidence. Deep Throat thinks it's a coincidence. It's... Probably a coincidence. It's a hell of a talking point, it's though. It's probably a coincidence based on their affluence level and the neighborhoods they live in rather than a coincidence based on, uh, you know, the changes and the, uh, and the people, you know, making the decisions. There you go. That was a businessman's comment right there. Damn good comment. That's 100% true. Look at you, the businessman right there. That's true, 100% what it is. They created through their hard work professionally, wealth and utilize that wealth to buy homes and neighborhoods that were... That are very unlikely to ever be zoned differently. Because why? Because those people like their neighborhoods that way? Because they chose neighborhoods that weren't necessarily in close proximity to the university. Okay. And they chose neighborhoods that weren't necessarily in close proximity to the university. Why? Because they want a quality of life. Because they don't want to live near students. They don't want to live near students. Who does? Mayor Snook, I believe, lives in the Greenbrier neighborhood. Okay. Greenbrier neighborhood's a wealthy neighborhood. You've got the proximity of the city and the amenities that come with it, but you're just distance away that you don't have to deal with the university. Yeah. You said it. They have affluence, and they pick neighborhoods where they're not necessarily impacted by this. Hell of a talking point. Hell of a coincidence. Um, James Watson, king of orbit, makes this comment. Um, with biotech, data science, federal tech hub, Zoom town status, and high construction costs, I'm not sure any kind of zoning is going to make 
much a, much of a difference at this point. We are starting to feel like Manhattan. It's forever expensive, unfortunately, unless the city could acquire some land from the county, which we know will never happen. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 100% right. Mm-hmm. 100% right. I've said on this program, time in and time out, that upzoning is not going to breed affordability. Upzoning is going to breed wealthy investor speculation. And when those wealthy investors have to pay a premium for dirt, they're going to charge a premium. They're going to charge a premium because they paid a premium for it. And they may even have a debt service payment each month that's at a premium clip. Yeah. And compounding the matter is increased rates, labor shortage, which means labor's more expensive, and materials and cost of goods at levels that are as bad as high as in American history. All those things work against affordability. Then you throw in folks can work from a ISP while collecting a big city paycheck out of central Virginia in their basement in Charlottesville. You throw in the data science school, the hotel, the conference center, the regional tech hub potential, the Paul Manning Biotech Institute, and the fact that the University of Virginia just got more applicants in the class of 2007, 2027, more applicants than the history of any other class in UVA history, and you have literally the perfect storm. It is the perfect storm that is transforming this community into Silicon Valley East. The perfect storm happening right now. We will reflect 10, 15 years from now and say this five-year period, this seven-year period of time is when Charlottesville completely became a brand new identity. Yeah. And wasn't Anonymous saying that the people of... Uh, What's that? I think I, think I read uh, Anonymous saying that um, the people of, was it Austin, uh, wish they could go back 15 years and uh, tell... Uh, oh, he, he thinks tell, the, com- the best comparison is Austin, Texas. Tell Amazon and, and all the other big tech companies to take a hike. He says there are old-timers in Austin, Texas... If they had a time machine, a DeLorean, a flux capacitor, and Doc Brown, Emmett Brown, maybe Marty McFly behind the steering wheel. He said, if they had a time machine, these old timers in Austin, Texas, they would literally block the roads to stop Apple, Facebook, and Tesla from bringing offices to Austin, Texas. Yeah. Not to mention blowing up the big luxury downtown projects before they topped out. That's going to be Charlottesville. Heard it here right here on the program. And we have consistently said that. I've consistently said that to anyone who would listen. Neil Williamson, talking to you, homie. Planning commissioners, board of supervisors, city council, talking to you, homies. Okay, but you also sound fairly, uh, you have sounded fairly uh, positive about... Gosh, it's 1.43. We got 90 seconds left. I can't believe we've been an hour and 15 minutes here. We got the 1.45 conference call. Finish your thoughts here. Uh, haven't you been fairly positive about the, uh, the data science and, and all the other stuff? What do you mean, for positive? Positive. Uh, we're going to have this stuff at Fontaine. and Yeah, it's happening. No, I know, but you found, you've sounded fairly positive about all these changes at times. Like, oh, we got, uh, you know, these guys donated money to, to build this, and there's money for that, and we're building those things. And What's, what, I, don't, I, don't, I don't follow here. We've got literally 60, 75 seconds here. What are you, what are you, what are you asking? I'm saying that you've sounded fairly positive about those things, but then you talk about. I mean, the I fact can't. We can't stop to- change. We can't stop that. Uh, two billionaires just gave a hundred million and a hundred twenty-five million. UVA is not going to say no to that. True. If the University of Virginia would they ever say no to a billionaire giving them one hundred twenty-five million dollars, or another billionaire giving them a hundred million? They're not going to say no. Would the, would the city of Charlottesville and Almaro County and the decision makers say no to 300 to $500 million from the federal government instead of allowing it to go to Blacksburg or Lynchburg? They're not going to say no to that. That's why I've said so many times on the program, no one's going to beat the invisible hand of capitalism just like no one in sports beats Father Time. LeBron James, you will lose to Father Time. Your body will break down. Affordability advocates, you will lose to the invisible hand of capitalism. And we're watching it. We're literally watching it. Randomly, a 300 to $500 million regional tech hub just springs up out of nowhere? Yeah. 
randomly, Paul Manning goes from baby formula genius to giving $100 million to UVA? Randomly, a, a data genius who went to the university, who understands data and coding better than everybody else, gives $125 million to UVA? Invisible hand. Invisible hand. Ah, i got to keep going. i got a VIP conference call Tuesdays at 145 with a VIP client. I'm out of here. Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, the I Love Seville show on a Tuesday. This topic continues tomorrow. So long, everybody.